0: In an uninhibited society, a 12-year-old would know most of the biology, which I will have to give you in formal lectures.
1: Oh boy. To start a lecture... First lecture, by the way. Like that? Wow. That is
0: adventurous.
1: Everybody and welcome to the Cinema Psych Podcast, the podcast where psychology meets film. I am your host, as always, Dr. Alex Swan. Welcome to this episode. Today, we are going to be talking about sex. Now, I know what you're thinking. Wait, this is a podcast. Well, yeah, we're going to talk about sex. I'm not going to show sex. Jeez. God, that would be Pornography. Anyways, today's movie is Kinsey. Kinsey came out in 2004. I'm sure you saw it. And if you haven't, it's a pretty decent one. 7 out of 10 is what it's got on IMDb. So, not bad. The film stars Liam Neeson as the titular Alfred Kinsey, a groundbreaking a human sexuality researcher was not that to start with. He studied bugs. He was an entomologist by training. Wild stuff. So, Alfred Kinsey is real, just in case you had any doubts about that. Alfred Kinsey's real. The Kinsey scale, the books that came out, all real stuff in the uh, explosive history of human sexuality in the uh, 20th century. Like, groundbreaking groundbreaking research uh, never been done before and we'll get into all of that in this episode don't you worry uh, the the uh, movie was uh, written and directed by Bill Condon a pretty famous director in the uh, in the world the Hollywood world I suppose film uh, film. Also stars Laura Linney as Clara McMillan, uh Mac, his uh his wife, Kinsey's wife, excuse me, Chris O'Donnell, Peter Sarsgaard, and Timothy Hutton all play his research assistants, not graduate research assistants from what I can tell, but you know, paid research assistants, some of his tro- some of his closest and trusted confidants. Some other really big names that are in this movie. Tim Curry has a bit role as somebody sort of a rival faculty member at the University of Indiana. Oliver Platt. I think either plays the dean of IU or like the provost, some heavy hitter has a lot of conversations with the with the board of trustees. What is what it looks like? Of course. Dylan Baker is in it as well. And William Sadler. But I think the biggest name that you're like, wait, that person's in it. John Lithgow. John Lithgow plays um, Alfred Kinsey Sr. Although I don't think they have this fully the same name. And so he wasn't Alfred Kinsey Jr. I, I don't believe that is the case. So. And then there are some great bit parts from a lot of famous people that have um, been have have exploded careers. One of my favorite ones, though, is um, John Krasinski, and uh, he has an early uh, meeting with Dr. Kinsey before uh, Kinsey goes on this big old cross country sex study um he, he just comes in with his newlywed wife and they're having sex problems and um they th- think that he's a good place to to ask questions. Uh he seems open and word spreads that kind of thing and and um it's a great it, it this is right before John Krasinski like blew up being in the office, being Jim in the office. So <laughs> It's great. And there are a few others uh, throughout. If you, like I said, if you haven't seen it, there aren't really many spoilers. Sort of the last, I don't know, third of the movie sort of quickly um, speeds up and time advances. Uh, most of the work or the time period that's set in the film uh, precedes the 1948 release of his male Volume, the first of two male sexual activities and behaviors, and so we have work before that, and then we have years after that. It's really hard to tell how much time has spanned uh, from the beginning of the the movie to the end uh th- like the main setting from when he starts you know teaching and meets mac at um Indiana University when she's a student and he's teaching people about uh his wasps i think is what they are so we're going to get into all of this. Its relationship with psychology is immense. There is a massive amount of academia present in this movie, just like the ins and outs of getting a grant and being able to fund research. And, oh, yeah, it, it takes you back to when today, when you have to ask for money to do your research. Yeah. So things haven't changed in academia, and uh, you still have to publish quite a bit to make a name for yourself. Still not going to get that respect, though, that he so desperately wanted. Nope, did not get that one at all. So sit back, relax, and enjoy our chat on Kinsey. And we are here with my guest host today... My guest host is Leslie Kuritzky. Leslie is a lifelong educator, LA native, oh yes, and self-professed movie nerd, also yes. She attended Cal State University Northridge for both undergrad and grad school, me too. Uh, her master's is in educational psychology and counseling. She's worked at several community colleges in the LA area and has been at LA Trade Technical College for the last 26 years. She's been a transfer counselor, curriculum chair, curriculum dean, articulation officer, and a psychology professor where we find her today. She has created the courses that she's wanted to teach, psychology of women, social psychology, and of course, psychology in film. Leslie, welcome to the show.
2: I am so excited to join you today.
1: I am happy to have you on. So as I do with all of my guest hosts joining me for a film is to ask. And sometimes we get a person on like you who teaches film the same in this kind of the same way that I like to. So I want to a- ask your thoughts about film and what you like about film in general and what prompts you to use in, to use film in your classes.
2: Well, I love film because maybe it's because I live in Los Angeles. We had, do have the industry here. We can go see movie previews. We can do all kinds of things related to movies. And I just love them. They make me happy. What can I say? Um, I use films with my teaching most mostly because I love film, and I want to just share my love of it with my students, but I don't teach an actual film class, or an art class, so I get to do it in the context of psychology.
1: That's excellent, uh, because that's, that's part of the reason that I like to do it, too. Film makes me happy, it makes me enthused. So my question is then, much along those same lines, is the enthusiasm sort of infectious?
2: Oh, I hope so. Because I get to movie nerd over all kinds of things. And little teeny details. So, when we watch A Beautiful Mind, for example, I can talk about hey, this is really the first time when Paul Bettany worked with Jennifer Connolly and then they got married. Oh, that, right? yeah, that is a nice,
1: interesting tidbit.
2: It is a little tidbit. Or when we watch um, A Clockwork Orange and Alex is going through the record store and there's actually a little poster for 2001 a space odyssey yes, also I directed by kubrick. So, right. oh, not to mention one of the actors in that movie um David Prowse became Darth Vader.
1: Yes, that is right. He became Darth Vader just a just a 5 years later thereabouts. Exactly. Yeah, a pretty amazing bits of t- tidbits. I also like sharing film techniques. So I'm a film technique nerd uh in addition to all of these little connections that directors and writers and actors like to do in their movies so i like to I like to point out like techniques so a Dutch angle for example, or zooming really uh in into people's faces and constantly holding the the mass massively close uh close up shot and what that does for the viewer I'm, So just little things like that uh to try to just show that we're not just watching a movie to grab psych techniques. There really is an art form to this, right?
2: Right. And they also use music to manipulate our emotions.
1: Yes, that's a good one. You know, the the uh shrieking violin. Oh, that gets me every single time. Gets me every time. Just I I just know my heart is pounding when I hear uh the viol just just the and, and the quiet violins too. Oof. Chills. No just literal the th- chills.
2: The theme of Jaws to this day can make people afraid to go into the ocean. Yeah. <laughs>
1: uh I wonder uh if you take a naive group on that one. So people who haven't seen Jaws and see whether or not it would impact them going in the water
2: maybe to a point because they've still heard about it, mm-hmm. even if they've never actually seen the movie.
1: I do because this. Because
2: it, it's been in pop culture. I'm sure I haven't seen every episode of The Simpsons, but I'm willing to bet it's there.
1: Okay, Leslie, now that we've uh, started, we stopped our nerding out on film techniques, um, let's pivot to our current discussion. We're going to talk Kinsey today film came out almost 20 years ago and so i was curious as to um w- we went back and forth on what movies to do for our chat today and you mentioned kinsey and i was like you know what we haven't really we do we have done a couple of biopics of of psychological figures before um um uh zimbardo and a, and a few other people zimbardo most recently eventually Milgram um but you brought up Kinsey and I was like you know what that's that's a good one because we haven't really talked about human sexuality on the show uh yet and I thought it was a good good one to use for our discussion but I I also wanted to know for our listeners why do you include it in your second film class why did it why why was it at the top the top of your list
2: Okay, so I teach my psychology and film class really as paired up with my psychology one. So all of the films I choose really relate to the same chapters that we're doing in psychology one. What's the first chapter? Research methods. Mm -hmm. So I thought, well, how fun is it to get something that not only discusses research methods, something where we can discuss ethics, Mm -hmm. because that's also a big chapter one sort of discussion and let's not do something boring. Let's throw the sex out there right out of the gate. First movie we watch. Why not?
1: Excellent. I mean, it it hits all of those things and yeah, we're going to talk quite a bit about uh, the research methods of Kinsey. Um, And it, you know, this really as, as a human sexuality discussion would be in maybe a, psych of gender class or a psych of women's studies class or um really a human sexuality class depending on if you've got that uh at your at your school uh so there are really two different worlds that you can you can use here and I think in some ways it mirrors the Stanford Prison Experiment film name. Um Because not only is it an exploration of research methods and the ethics of doing such things, but you can also just talk about the social psychology of what Zimbardo was trying to show. Um, You know, he didn't do it properly, but at least he was doing something. At least these are concepts that we can talk about. And so I think Kinsey sort of set the stage on that one a decade prior. Um, so yeah. That's a great reason to uh to use this film in your class. I didn't include it when I taught second film because I had a summer session and so I only had four weeks. So it is going to probably enter the rotation though.
0: Hello. I'm Dr. Alfred Kinsey from Indiana University, and I'm making a study of sex behavior.
1: All right, Leslie, let's jump into the meat of it then, uh, if if that's all right with you.
2: Let's do it.
1: So I want to take a chronological look at this film. So the film centers around the year 1948, which is when his first volume on male sexual behaviors uh, and anatomy was released. And so we have the preceding years up to that time two or three years it's really hard to tell um with uh the passage of time uh but because we hear about his children being born but then in the middle of the movie they're all sort of teenagers and or going to college so it's really hard to tell how how much uh the film color covers as 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 far as time goes um but That's then true. after 1948 is sort of the last 30 minutes of the movie or so after the book comes out and what happens after the book comes out with the research while they're trying to get the the female volume the second volume out and all of that and that stuff and then sort of the film speeds up and then wraps up <laughs> so That's what it does um Leslie, for the audience, can you describe who Alfred Kinsey was and the kind of scholar he was and the work that he did just in general?
2: Okay, so Alfred Kinsey was actually an entomologist. He was studying this bug called a gull wasp, and he was looking at how they were um, spreading out from one location to another, which included some of their mating because they could only move so far, um, which is actually kind of funny. Um, But it actually didn't seem to actually thrill him all that much. He did the work. He plowed away at it. But what seemed to really interest him were students coming to him and asking him questions about other things, Mm -hmm. like sex. And he thought, hey, maybe this is a direction I can go to research people's behavior, because he was coming at it from a biology point of view, not a social scientist perspective.
1: Yeah, and I think that's an important point to make, that he was an entomologist, and so he didn't really have the theoretical background a social scientist at the time would have. Maybe that helped him, maybe that hindered him. Uh, I would say that in from the film's perspective... His inability to speak articulately, as and and understanding who your audience is, um, as perhaps a social scientist would, uh, be able to navigate. He was very, just very blunt about it. Maybe people like that about him. Um, we meet a woman at the very end of the movie who thanks him for, quote unquote, saving her life, um, because of writing about homosexuality which nobody was really talking about in the 1940s and so she was a lesbian and and um his writings his books saved her from um dying by suicide so i mean he for all of the things that um he did which we'll get into uh the movie does paint him as a sort of hero figure for advancing the conversation of sexuality uh, in the United States.
2: He did have to really walk a really thin line because we're talking about a time where we had the Red Scare, Mm -hmm. the House Un-Americans Committee. He had to really make sure that he wasn't being looked at as being essentially un-American for bringing up a topic that most Americans do not discuss in public.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, the movie portrays it rather, uh, I would say, speciously uh, by saying that it's so so easy to get grants. It's not really.
2: Yeah. But he had to play a lot of games with the Rockefeller Foundation to get them to continue funding him. And they didn't want him to say anything. That was over the top.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And untoward. And and you know. Anti-puritanical. Uh, notions at the time. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So. It's important now. That we understand who Kinsey was. Why he thought. You know what. I'm going to abandon all of this gull wasp stuff and completely divert my efforts to sort of upending the entire conversation of sex in the United States uh, for many decades to come and including the uh, the research invention of the Kinsey scale. So some things that led him to his work as portrayed in the film by John Lithgow, uh, his father is a really dogmatic preacher and he wants his sons to excel in everything but then also become preachers.
2: Right. But he was very controlling and his mother was very passive. Mm -hmm. And so growing up, looking at those relationships obviously affected his own development later on especially when it came to how he was going to have a relationship with his wife, I mean who was his role model on marriage.
1: Exactly. And um his struggle with the religious teachings uh as a boy scout, we get a we get a glimpse of his past as a boy scout and talking to his brother about masturbation and then we see Uh, masturbation, then we see uh, Alfred uh, masturbate that night um, and feeling really, really bad about it.
2: He was told it was a terrible thing. And especially when later on, when we get the story of his father Mm -hmm. and how his father was treated, it's no wonder that he's been taught this entire time that masturbation is wrong.
1: Yeah, that is a pretty powerful scene um where Kinsey's father admits to chronically masturbating and then having to be, you know, essentially um disallowed from touching himself by like having to wear a strap.
2: Of, yeah, some kind of binding.
1: Yeah. Uh it, it I would imagine that it uh it just covers the whole area and um maybe there's a pee hole i guess there would have to be really
2: yeah the male version of a chastity belt
1: yeah pretty much pretty much and i would imagine that erections were very uncomfortable uh for a contraption that that um of that time period of that type Uh, So, you know, very traumatic experience that his father has. And this trauma then gets transformed into religious dogma and um, the other psychological part of it, which is the need to control uh, his sons.
2: And Kinsey grew up with this, but it really does seem like as he's pursuing his own research that he's throwing all of that away. Yeah, all of it.
1: He is doing a great example of reactance uh, in in the sense that he's doing the exact opposite of all of the things that he was taught to do uh, or taught to do and taught to be as a as a child. He's just 180 <laughs> the whole thing.
2: Exactly. Yet he still went back to his family, had dinner with his parents and still was looking for approval from his father which he must have known he was not going to get
1: yeah that's always rough it's always rough to for me um to see that because in in many ways i feel for that person um but then at the same time i also know intellectually well, you're right not going to get it and he ultimately apologizes to his father after learning this um about this masturbation treatment uh because it represented a profound shift in their relationship. So that's one of the precursors to his work. Um, you mentioned Mac, and so what is an, another precursor to to the work that they show so very, um, I think, very fun and very cute uh, way in the movie?
2: So you're talking about their little meat cute
1: Uh, Well, just the whole thing about how they blossom into this sexually uh, open uh, situation. So this is sort of like part of the reason why he he uh, goes on this um, on this uh, journey.
2: Well, she seems much more open about her self-confidence, her sexuality. She seems much more open and is able to sort of lead him along to also be more open. It would have been interesting to learn more about Mac's childhood and her relationship with her parents. And what did she learn as a kid? Because clearly she had a very different upbringing than Kinsey did.
1: Yeah. That, that, that makes sense. But of course, Oh, the movie's called Kinsey.
2: <laughs> it's true. It's not called Mac.
1: Yeah. So, um, in light of, of their openness, they had some problems in the beginning, right?
2: Oh, they did. Actually, one of my favorite scenes is when they're trying to have sex, it's painful, mm-hmm. and they go to a doctor. Dr.
0: Kinsey, how large is your penis? Excuse me?
2: When erect, how large is it? How long from the scrotum? Here? here here I'm
1: surprised
0: you didn't pass out
2: it's it's a very funny and,
1: scene and and they and and this is how why i think the whole presentation of this is um you know represents healthy behaviors in in a couple and why i think it's cute and funny um is because everybody's face is just so sheepish and they're like, oh, this is so embarrassing. And the then the doctor's like, because uh, it, there's an issue with um, her hymen or something like that. Um,
2: and he's going to surgically yeah. um, cut it so it's not as painful. Right. Yeah.
1: And he's like, this is super routine, happens all the time. <laughs> like, <laughs> Oh, it was it was a great line to end that just like little vignette of them trying to figure out, and then it and then it cuts to them just having vigorous sex, um,
2: on which, the bed, it, on the floor. Yeah, they, they were yeah,
1: they were just enjoying it. They they were like, "She's healed now. Let's see if this fixes it." And it, apparently, it does. Apparently so. Now. Another uh, thing that you mentioned, Leslie, is uh, what happens to Kinsey um, as he's you know teaching just regular bug stuff with students. I think this is a, this is an important precursor to his work.
2: Yeah, it is, and you know, students were asking him questions on all these things unrelated to the gall wasp, mm-hmm. which is actually very sweet because as an instructor, you want to have this relationship with your students where they like you. They're free to talk, feel free to talk to you. And they certainly did.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Um, It's just, and the way that they play this out is that he gets a nickname. Proc. Proc. Yes. And he, 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 he describes it as a short way to say Professor K, and because, you know, it's a nice, nice, really sharp syllable at the end. Proc. We have um, we, we just have a name that gets that he gets to carry, and it just makes him seem more personable to these students. And um, it immediately builds rapport when he can just say, I'm Proc. You can call me Proc. You know, imagine how many semesters he went through being, I'm Proc.
2: Yeah. Well, what's funny, though, is that most of my students call me Mrs. K. Okay. No one wants to say Karitsky. (laughs) But I tell them, I said, you can call me Professor. You can call me Mrs. K. You can call me Mom. I'll probably answer. (laughs) And so it's like, let's just relax. We're going to have fun. You're going to be okay.
1: Would you, uh, at this stage of your career, would you um, also allow Proc? Since you are Professor K.
2: I am Professor K. That would be fun.
1: I'd give it a go the next time you teach psych and film.
2: Why not?
1: Yeah. If it's the first movie that you start with. What an exciting movie to start with, by the way. But yeah, um, uh, you could just say he's Proc and I'm Proc.
2: So am I.
1: (laughs) I think that would be amazing.
2: Yeah, I should give it a shot.
1: So another precursor to Kinsey's work uh that I wanted to note is um, at Indiana University in 1940 something. Uh we don't really know uh when when that is. It's just prior to the first book coming out. So in 1940 something we are <laughs> given the academic tour of uh, the biology, I guess, department or some conglomeration of arts and sciences. And we meet Tim Curry's character who uh, teaches hygiene.
2: And he does it in the most boring. <laughs> he makes it as boring as humanly possible, doesn't he?
1: Yeah, he d- he really does. And um, not to mention, you know, there's a uh, one black person in the class and uh, he goes out of his way. To um, other, this guy uh, by mentioning how and and his, in his hygiene class while boring, also super gross because it's just about STIs.
2: Yeah, he's very offensive.
1: Yeah, he goes cool. out of his way to make a racist um, a racist comment about the difference between black and white men um, wh- about the rates of STIs and things like that. It's like, whoa. And even Oliver Platt's character who I don't know if he's the Dean or the president or something of Indiana university, but he did not like that comment either.
2: Yeah. I I think he was a Dean. That was my sense. Mm -hmm. And he's trying his best to try to lead people to do the right thing, but he also doesn't want to step on any toes. Because funding is funding. We don't want to lose our funding.
1: Yeah. There's a scene at the end of the movie, and uh, I'm not going to be able to include it. Uh, Apologies, dear listener. not going to be able to include it because I can't find it. Uh, And I can't. I'm not going to pay for the movie again. But he's at a dinner trying to get funding after the Rockefeller (laughs) Foundation uh, kicks his butt to the curb. And uh, he's at uh, this nice soiree dinner with a bunch of rich philanthropists or whatever. And he just blurts out, you don't know how hard I've worked. for ever- And how ba- how ba- poorly I've been treated. And I was just like, that is every single academic trying to get a grant right now.
2: Oh, it's Please. True.
1: Please, NSF. You don't know how hard I've worked. Just bless me. (laughs) I was like, this encapsulates academia right now. Okay, all right. Getting it in the late, uh, early 1950s. Just just getting (laughs) getting it going.
2: Oh, it was probably there for all of eternity when... Plato and Socrates were teaching. They were probably fighting for funding.
1: That's true. That is very true. They were probably petitioning the local government. Can I just have some research space? Mm, Sorry, I don't think we got that space for you, Plato. You got to go find a cave. So we have poor sex education at a college. Um, and I believe Indiana University is a public land grant university. I could be wrong about the land grant thing, I but believe I'm p- it is. pretty sure that it's public university in Indiana. So, I mean, we're talking to like if it's going to be taught, it's going to be taught at a place like this. But all they had as far as sex education was if you have sex, you're going to get gross things on your penis uh, because only men were in this class. It was not right. co-ed from what I could tell.
2: It didn't seem like it. This is also a time where a lot the stereotype is that women were going to college for their MRS degree. Mm-hmm. So were they going to further a career? Was there still an expectation that they would remain housewives? So even though during World War II, a lot of women were absolutely working while the men were off at war... After the war, when the men came back, the expectation was that the women would return to the kitchen.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, very true. And and for, in fairness, Mac is uh, portrayed, and whether this is accurate or not, uh, as far as real life goes, is portrayed as a housewife. She is. Yeah.
2: But, she's, but she may be a housewife, but she is not subservient true. in any way. And that's one of the things I actually really love about the movie is that she is supporting him from the home front, but she is not subservient to him.
1: True. Uh, Yeah, I agree. So we have poor sex education and like I said, in this hygiene class. Also, why do you need a class on hygiene? Um, was wash- it a
2: requirement for graduation? Yeah,
1: it, you know what? It probably was, considering what the graduations for requirements used to be in general education. Even when I was in college, I'm like, why do I have to take this class? That's this is ridiculous. Um, it, so I can only imagine 80 years ago what, it was, <laughs> what nonsense people had to take. That really probably did so. really did nothing for them. Other than you could have probably just read a book or watched somebody teach you how to clean yourself. I don't, I don't know hygiene euphemism know. apparently.
2: Hand them a pamphlet and a condom and send them on their way.
1: Exactly. But also, um, Tim Curry's character uh, says at a you know a, a meeting uh, for I don't know, the department or the the arts and sciences um, says that you know abstinence education is the only way to teach sex which is literally saying don't teach sex
2: when i was a kid they would pull the kids out in fifth grade and the boys went into one room and the girls went into another room and they gave them the talk mm-hmm. um and then after that of course you know they may have changed the talk ever so slightly to the point where They hand you a little bag that has deodorant in it. Mm -hmm. And the boys got the one speech. The girls got the other. Nobody knew what the other speech was. We didn't know. Not really.
1: Unless you asked, Um, I suppose.
2: I suppose unless you asked. um, But even so, sitting in that fifth grade little pullout movie thing, whatever they showed people... Nobody was really listening. They were too busy being nervous and giggling and elbowing each other. Your friends. Nobody's really listening. And I'm willing to bet in the 1940s they did not do that for kids in fifth grade.
1: No, or, I, I I doubt that because seventh grade because they because they weren't doing it for adults. I mean, we're talking about college students in this movie who are not getting sexual education. Like these are adults who are getting married and um ostensibly having children i mean how is population going to expand if you people aren't having kids i mean people are clearly having sex um but
2: what perhaps it's on their wedding night the um you know the saying that like the on their wedding night the mother says to her daughter the bride just lay back and think of england
1: oh my oh my (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> That's really rough um
2: <laughs> there's there, yeah, no one explains what an orgasm is. Mm-hmm. they don't know what what are the expectations they they've they're being told that sex is for procreation only, yeah,
1: and much to um as we wrap up this uh you know these precursors to this valuable work, there's no discussion of whether or not it should hurt oh it it shouldn't of course but in some cases it does and when you don't tell people that that this might be a possibility they end up thinking terrible things about themselves like um in that scene where on um Brock and Max uh wedding night he gets incredibly uh distraught because he's hurt his new wife and he's like I can't I can't do this uh pleasurable thing for her um i you know i've masturbated but you know it wasn't necessarily pleasurable it felt like an urge but i felt so much shame about it and now he wants now he can do this sanction thing and it, it 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 uh it devastates him
2: yeah well when they go to the doctor and she tells the doctor that she's experiencing this pain And the doctor says, well, we can do this little surgery. It's easy. It's not a problem. I really wonder, though, how many people went to their doctors and said, this hurts. Or did they mostly suffer in silence because they thought this is what it is, I guess.
1: And that nobody told them that it shouldn't be that way or that anybody even knows that it shouldn't be that way. At the time, of course. Um, I mean, yeah, we had history of Greeks and Romans and the discussion of of sex as a pleasurable experience but we're so far people were so far removed from those days and how much the church uh, impacted how people learned about these unsanctioned things that yeah maybe that collective knowledge of this should be a pleasurable thing was lost and yeah people weren't Women weren't going to their doctors, either out of shame, embarrassment, or just ignorance.
2: Probably so. Unless they traveled abroad. Perhaps if they went to France or Italy, they would have learned something different.
1: (laughs) Perhaps, yeah. Exactly. So those are are the ways in which the film portrays the reasons why Kinsey goes about doing this uh, human sexuality work. It really is a culmination of his experiences with his father, his youth, um, the dogmatic Christianity in which he was raised. And then just the absolute fundamental lack of education adults were getting um, that he knew better about. He, He knew better. And so he decides, damn it, I'm going to do the largest sex study ever. And before we jump into that biggest, big, biggest, at least at the time, study of sex, let's take a quick break and we'll be back talking Kinsey with Leslie Karitsky. Howdy. Thanks for listening to this episode. We hope you're enjoying the conversation. Over the past two years, the podcast has grown and that's mostly in part to folks like you, the listeners. We've also had wonderful luck receiving support from the Society for the Teaching of Psychology, APA Division II Small Partnerships Grant. It's been a fun ride and we wanna keep it going. So we need your help. There are several ways that you can support this show. You can share episodes with your social media networks so we can grab new listeners. You can join our fledgling Patreon program. You can contribute directly using PayPal Or you can purchase some sweet merchandise with our logo at our Spreadshirt merch store. All of those things can be found on the website cinemasychpod.swansych.com. But perhaps the best thing that you can do is to keep listening and leave us feedback on Facebook or Twitter so we know you've listened. Thanks. And now back to the show and we are back talking Kinsey 2004 movie starring Liam Neeson as the titular character with Leslie Caricksky. Now Leslie, I had primed the viewer before we uh stopped for the break that uh, all of these precursors led to Kinsey's groundbreaking study. Kinsey and uh and his colleagues uh in this Big old study on sex behaviors and anatomy. So for the listeners, what was the broad methodology uh, of this study?
2: Okay, so Kinsey was using this survey method, but rather than doing it with paper and pencil, he was having his lab assistants do these interviews with thousands upon thousands of people. And he trained his lab assistants how to ask the questions, which questions to ask, how to make notations so that it would be very objective. He was trying to leave subjectivity out of it. I think that kind of crashed and burned as things went along. But he did start with a very objective method for asking these questions and he started, of course, just asking men. Later on, he also asked women. But he wanted to ask as many people as humanly possible to find out what beha- what their backgrounds were, first of all, what behaviors they've actually engaged in. He also asked them what they fantasized about and if that actually led to some of the behaviors. Because as a biologist, he's really mostly looking at the behaviors. Right. Not some of all these other ancillary things, but they all did come along later on. So he started with this survey method with these interviews.
0: Hey, I'd like to begin with a few background questions. No, all wrong. Start by putting the subject at ease. Would you care for a drink, Mac?
2: A glass of water would be very nice.
0: Do anything fun this weekend? My daughters were in town, so I never stopped. We had a marvelous meal Saturday night. Really? What did you cook? Well, I started with a little... See how much more relaxed she's become? If you ease in with innocuous questions, people forget they're giving sex histories. How did you first find out about masturbation? I invented it, son. Sometimes I tie a rope around my balls and I jerk off. And what other masochistic acts do you enjoy? Does that mean queer? How often do you have intercourse? Two or three times. A month? No, a day. Hmm. How often do you reach orgasm? Once. A day? No, only once. About 20 years ago, I was sitting on a piano stool listening to music. Hmm. Oh, that's good. How old were you when you first engaged in sexual activity with a partner? Fourteen. How?
2: With horse. How often were you having intercourse with animals at age 14? It's true. the pony. You are a genius. How did you know? You just said you had sex with a horse. No. Horse. Not horse. Horse. Later on, though, he was inviting people into the lab. He was videotaping people actually in the act of sex. Mm -hmm. And he started wanting to know what was normal, average, because they didn't know what that meant anyway. And he realized very quickly that there is no such thing as normal or average when it comes to sexual behavior. Right. And it actually led him to learn a lot more about how broad the world of homosexuality, bisexuality, all of those things were even back then. It might've been very in the closet. People weren't talking about it, but they were doing it.
1: Right there, yeah. There's some really significant things here to unpack. Right. So let's take that last one um, regarding homosexuality. So one of the biggest things that came out of this research is what is referred to as the Kinsey scale, a scale from zero to six right. that describes on a unidimension a person's proclivity for homosexual behavior at zero, and, um, or was that?
2: Yes, it was zero. heterosexual was at zero. Heterosexual. And yes, and homosexual behavior was at six.
1: There, there we go. And then
2: he scaled it in between, so one, two, three, four, and five was, I've mostly done this with a smattering of that. Right. Or I've equally... Engaged in both heterosexual and homosexual behaviors.
0: This rating scale of yours? Mm hmm. Uh, zero to six. Zero being exclusively heterosexual and uh, six being exclusively homosexual. A great many people line up somewhere in the middle. What makes you think that's true? Common sense. Remember, about a third of our heterosexual histories have homosexual acts and vice versa. Right. I guess I'm about a three, huh? Based on your sexual history, I'd say that's um, right. How about you? I suppose I've been a one or two most of my life, even though it's taken a long time to recognize it. And now? Probably three.
1: And that scale was used for a very long time afterward. Uh, I don't know how much it's used these days because of all of the new and better ideas about gender, sexual orientation, and as well as, like, just attraction in general, uh, physical attraction versus uh, uh, versus psychological attraction, gender identity, all of these different kinds of things that I, I think a single scale doesn't really capture it. For behavior, maybe, but that's... I would I would say it's pretty hard pressed to find, but I mean, if there are any, if there's anyone out there that knows more about how the Kinsey scale is used today, please, uh, please let me know. Um, you can email me, or you can tweet tweet at us CinemapsPod, or you can message me on Facebook, just either me or at Cinema PsychPod as well, uh, because I'd be interested to know. I have been trying to get a human sexuality course at my college um but i wanted to be team taught with a uh, biologist sort of half and half
2: that would be interesting
1: um and i was going to be doing it but then the biologist that i was going to be doing with left uh left the college so um hopefully another biologist comes along and and is and wants to do that because i think that would be really 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 fun anyways that's a small digression so the homosexuality comes up with the Kinsey scale. Um, the movie portrays a very fluid uh, sexuality with many of the characters, um, but majorly focusing on Kinsey himself. Uh, he, and apparently they end up with an open marriage, and so do all of his lab assistants end up with open marriages.
2: There's a scene at a barbecue mm-hmm. where all the lab assistants and their wives are all talking about who's going to have sex with who and introducing the new fiancé of one of the lab assistants. And the expectation is that she'll play along. Yeah. I, ho- I, certainly, I certainly hope before they got married, they had a big discussion about that, that that was the expectation in the marriage.
1: Yeah, and I think um, Timothy Hutton's lab assistant character sort of spells that out for the viewer, uh, sort of says, you know, like, you know, all of our wives are pretty much on board with what we're doing here, and we see that there are issue issues arise. Um, Mac isn't too happy about uh, Kinsey's uh, homosexual encounter with one of his lab uh, assistants but apparently they they reconcile because she ends up having also. a fling with um the same guy so it, it it's a lot of really dynamic relationships going on um throughout the course of this and and as you mentioned Leslie they he tries to keep a uh, he tries to keep the study objective but he doesn't do a very good job because of all of these Bleeding uh, from personal stuff that comes into it,
2: yeah, one of the interesting conversations I have with my students is, should a researcher be personally involved in their research? And the funny thing is, is how many students really fall into these opposite ends. One student might say they should be completely objective and have zero personal interest at all in the topic, but other students will say, no, but it makes it when once they're closer to the topic, maybe they can do a better job because they have their own personal perspective. And I have to have a whole conversation about experimenter bias mm-hmm. and how much of that really did affect Kinsey's study and what he created with his books at the end.
1: Yeah. I, I, I agree and and that gets us down into the the ethics thing so we'll hold on to on to that one tight one of the other things that you mentioned uh, in in your overview Leslie was that uh, he created this survey method can you tell a little bit can you tell us a little bit more about the survey method and the training that his lab assistants had to do yes
2: yeah, so he had his lab assistants ask him, Proc, the questions, so that way he could say, wait, let's try this a little bit of a different way. He really wanted them well-trained. So he had them start with demographic data and -hmm. collecting that to try to relax the participants. So this is easy, I'm just giving my name, my age, a little bit of my background. So they would relax a little bit Mm -hmm. and then they would ask slowly, more and more detailed questions so by the end they were asking all these questions about the participants sexual behavior that they could never have asked as the first question
1: right that i think people would just clam up immediately
2: absolutely as he was training all of his lab assistants he would slowly make adjustments to what questions were being asked and how they were being asked. So in some ways, when you look at the variables for Mm -hmm. his study, they actually shifted over time. So can you really compare the data for the later participants to the early ones if he keeps changing the questions?
1: Yeah, not very good research design.
2: No, but it's still, he tried. He really did try to come up with an objective method for asking these questions for coming up with this coding system, so that if anybody looked at uh, someone's sheet afterwards of you know what they said, you couldn't. There was no identifying information.
1: Yeah, that's important, so, right? Kept it. That was kept it confidential, and and it's mentioned that um, th- that was a crucial part of of the interview process that people knew that they weren't going to get dinged by their friends and family and people that knew them, that they had these engaged in these, what they thought was odd sexual behavior.
2: Right. Um, One of the difficulties with any kind of survey or that sort of thing where you're asking people for really personal information is that you only can get as much good data as your volun the volunteers, you managed to, you know, get out of the woodwork. How many people didn't volunteer? What would they have said? So was he really getting a true random sample? Mm-hmm. If these are only the people who were interested in participating in the study?
1: Yeah, um, I see your note here that twenty five percent of his participants were prisoners. Yeah, in, in real, real
2: life. life- Yes, they were prisoners. Um and now of course we have all kinds of protections in place right. for protected populations to participate in research, but back then there was really none of that. Yeah. Did they have did they have institutional research no. boards?
1: Back um then? <laughs> This is pretty this is pretty sad um as far as an ethics standpoint goes as far as the timeline goes. Um <laughs> uh the nuremberg code which many of our current uh ethical guidelines are based on was only a couple of years old when the kinsey's first book came out in 1948 so there was very little of anything and as far as the code goes his research didn't qualify because because it was survey methods
2: Okay, got it. Right, the Nuremberg Code was experimental group and control group.
1: Yeah, the the Nuremberg Code was specifically for like uh, making changes to a person, so to speak. So like having them ingest something, uh, um, sticking them with a needle, uh, you know, doing any kind of surgery. It was that it was really meant um, as a response to what the Nazis were doing to humans. Um, which was gnarly and awful. And so <laughs> there was nothing else. So if you were doing a survey method like this, you basically only needed the approval of the, I guess, the legal body. So his superiors, the dean and whatnot at Indiana University. And which he he does get, um, through like this marriage course that he creates, um, and the uh funding source yeah, that was basically that
2: was, it that was it, so he could ask anybody to be a participant. I'm not sure how he got those prisoners, how he you know did he approach one prison in particular? I don't know, but it's it makes you sort of question a little bit of his data,
1: yes, and considering that if a quarter of them were men in prison, then this creates a, a, a skew, as you put it, in the sexual behaviors because these men don't have access to women to engage in heterosexual uh, a- uh, behaviors, except for, you know, the um, what are they called? communal conjugal visit
2: conjugal visit <laughs> but how many people really had conjugal visits
1: yes yeah, see that's what i mean do we even know that conjugal visits were sort of allowed in the mid 1940s when he was collecting the the data on these uh, men in prison like probably not so if they were engaging in sex acts it likely would have been uh male male uh male to male Uh, sex act so does that increase the rate of homosexual behaviors well obviously is that uh was that representative of uh people in the united states maybe we didn't really know about homosexuality at that time and it's said that trying to get kinsey to stop this that um uh j edgar hoover the uh sort of original director of the crazy director of the FBI um, was putting together communism dossiers um, and
2: J-, J Edgar Hoover, who was also a transvestite.
1: Yes. He was also, yes. yes so he had also had his own uh,
2: skeletons in his closet,
1: you know, ways, it's uh, ideas uh, that he thought were different from the norm. And he was hiding those. Um, very parallel figure to Kinsey's father, at least in the movie. They don't reference um, Hoover's uh, private activities in the movie. It's just that he's putting together dossiers of uh, homosexual behavior among Kinsey and his lab assistants and and how that was basically going to just tank the whole project, tank the whole project just because of... of how bad that was in the, at this point, the early 1950s.
2: Our our attitudes about this have changed so much. So after Kinsey's research, they essentially divided sexuality into four very nice, neat, clean categories. You were either heterosexual, homosexual, bisexual, or asexual. Mm -hmm. That was it. The four categories. And now we ha- we really can see that it's an entire spectrum of mm-hmm. behaviors, of desires. Uh, but back then, it was very clear cut to them. Either you were or you were not.
1: Yeah. And I mean, it, it, uh, Kinsey is part of the reason for this because his two volumes, Sexual Behavior in the Human Male and Sexual Behavior in the Human Female. So... He sets up the dichotomy, the the sex dichotomy, from the start, right? He doesn't allow for any nuance in there. He has no idea um, any of the men that he talked to or the women that he talked to were potentially trans. Or that um, their chromosomes weren't the, you know, XX, uh, XY, you know... F- false dichotomy that exists out there and and uh so he wasn't reporting on that but it it also makes sense that it came out to four categories but because that's how you cross a dichotomy right that's you get male only female only male female and no one um which from an educational standpoint is very limiting because it ignores all the variation that exists at all levels, genetic, all the way up to you know macro phenotype.
2: Exactly. So today we can show the gender bread person. I'm, I studios. fancy
1: the the gender unicorn myself.
2: Okay, but just as some way of opening up the discussion that how someone presents themselves can be different than what their genetics say can be different from who they have relationships with. So. It's all on a spectrum, and the whole idea of gender conformity—we are slowly changing.
1: Yes, slowly—the operative word there. Ugh.
2: But I, but I,
1: I, I, I then ask you, Leslie, um, as we uh, pivot the discussions a little bit, um, with because we mentioned the eth the ethics of this, so. What would some what would be different if this study were conducted today? If 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 the whole thing was just like, hey, we need a new deep dive into human sexuality, what would that look like today?
2: Well, first of all, would we do it as these one on one interviews? Probably not. It's not very efficient.
1: <laughs> it's very, it's very expensive. As it's, Kinsey repeatedly asks for money in the movie.
2: Right. You have to pay a lot of people mm-hmm. to do these things. So it's not very efficient. And it's also not objective because what if one lab assistant says something slightly differently than the next one? You could end up with different responses. So we would probably create an online survey. Mm-hmm. Um throw it out there to the universe. Now we have all these computers that could um, calculate our data for us. How convenient is that? Thank you very much, technology. Um, We would still have the same issue of who is volunteering. Mm -hmm. Because are you really getting a random sample of the population?
1: Yeah. So to get a really good random sample of sexual activity you, you kind of just have to ask everyone.
2: <laughs> yeah, you really do. You really do. And you have to make it clear that it is open to everyone regardless of gender, race, that you want every everyone who can possibly participate.
1: Yes, and make sure that um un- uh, historically underrepresented groups, which is the case in the original uh two volumes, uh the male uh, volume that came out in 1948 and the female that came out a couple of years later. Um, It really is not very diverse. They do try to show a diverse group in the movie, but that's not when they go, when they're going all over the, when they're going all over the place. Uh, they show
2: this map with all these faces yeah. popping up.
1: But it wasn't really that diverse, was it?
2: Well, not only was it not that diverse, but his lab assistants were not um diverse. He only had male lab assistants. they all appeared to be white cis male lab assistants, so that actually can also skew the results if you're doing these one on one interviews. How comfortable would someone who's gender queer be talking to? One of these lab assistants or um, person of color, it can change the results that you get. So today, creating an objective online study, <laughs> perhaps with an opening image that shows people of various races, genders, presentations, etc., to give the message that everyone is welcome. Mm-hmm. There would be ways to do it.
1: Yeah, I think. But the there way. Would be. But
2: the way The way Kinsey did it, he did a a great groundbreaking job, but it wouldn't be adequate for today.
1: No, and I think it. it, um, for all the fervor around um, an ongoing theme in the movie, which is the word normal, um, for all the fervor around normal... While it does do a really good job of bringing this taboo subject to the light and really, really grinded the gears of a lot of people who, would I, who I would just, I sort of would have, have reveled getting their gears grinded. You know, somebody like, um, you know, Senator McCarthy or something like that, to seeing him get so worked up about ah, this man teaching Sex! Uh, I, I think I would love that um, if I were there at the time with my current brain.
2: I mean, he ended up on the cover of Life magazine. There was a lot of publicity about his books. So you know, with all that publicity, a lot of buttons were getting pushed.
1: He could have done a better job of making sure that everyone was comfortable. Um, I can imagine the women... Who came to the lab likely felt uncomfortable being surrounded by a bunch of men, um, and being asked these very personal questions. It it, it is kind of, it is very it is it is very rough. And I think um your idea of making it um not in front of a human being is probably the best idea.
2: <laughs> we like objectivity in our data.
1: Yes. Um, this whole idea of normal, normal doesn't really exist because normal is really what you do typically. But what this study did was shine a light on, um, what is more common than people thought. Even though they ask the question, is this normal? I mean, the question, the response to that is, I don't know, and we probably will never know, but it might be typical, it might be average, what do you mean by average, though? Well, you know, it's it's not, it's, it's somewhere in the middle, it's mediocre, I suppose, well, am I having mediocre sex? I don't know, maybe you are, but.
2: To this day, though, people want to know what is normal, what is average, what's the normal number of times a married couple should have sex every week. Right. Or whatever. Um, Yeah, well, I'll tell you that I send a lot of my students in my Lifespan class to look at Columbia University's site of Go Ask Alice because it has a lot of questions about sex drugs, maybe not rock and roll, but it has a lot of those kind of questions of what is normal, what is average so even though Kinsey did that work so long ago, people today are still asking those questions
1: yeah and i and and I think that they're asking those questions because you know we never we'll never know what's normal, but I think the one thing that even though try as he might could not ever say is this sample that I got in my male book and my female book are at all representative of what is normal just because of his sample. So there might be average behaviors amongst his his group. We don't know if that is normal for everyone. And of course, normal for everyone doesn't really mean anything
2: it really doesn't um, he wasn't really addressing um happiness in relationships. he was only really addressing the sexual behavior not this is sex is only one piece of a healthy adult long term relationship
1: right, and at <clears throat> that particular part really sums up um, this research in that as psychologists we know that if you want to define it as a marriage if you want to just define it as a partnership if you want to define it as whatever you want um or even you know a poly uh relationship define it however you want sex as you said is only going to be one part of it And a true study on human sexuality does not ignore the relationship, the psychology, and the cultural and social environment. Exactly. Sex is a lot different for Europeans and Westerners than it is for... some peoples in africa or southeast asia or or whatever so i mean that that plays a big role yeah anatomy is fine we 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 can we all know how to make a baby or we're told how to make a baby i suppose and we're shown down there at the at the cellular level what happens when a sperm meets an egg but that's not the whole story
2: it's not. And Masters and Johnson also did their work around a similar time on sexuality. They were coming at it from a very different viewpoint. They wanted to know physiologically what was going on in the male body and the female body. Right. But, so
1: it was something that, yeah, something that Kinsey didn't actually talk about was like, okay, when you are engaged in these acts, what, <laughs> what is actually happening in the body? And the Masters and Johnson was the physiology of arousal.
2: Right. And you'd think as a biologist, he actually would have been interested in that.
1: He was stuck in those dang behaviors of the gull wasps.
2: Oh, it's all the gull wasps fault.
1: Well, I mean, if you think about it, if he was just a taxonomist, which is what it seems like he was, I don't, it, the movie portrays him as just basically finding gold wasps, labeling them, and then putting them in a display case, uh, like a display case that you would see at a museum or something, and so he really is just looking at these gull wasps, examining the outside, and then putting them in a display case.
2: Luckily, he didn't study humans the same way.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's very true. Yeah.
0: (laughs) It's advisable to stick to what's normal. You don't want to shake people up. Of course not.
2: What did you expect?
0: The enforcers of chastity are massing once again.
1: All right, Leslie, we have time for one more segment. So I wanted to ask you any last questions. Any last parting concepts, themes, ideas in psychology that we could discuss about Kinsey?
2: Actually, I would like to bring up his quotes, even though they did not mention them in the movie. Okay, so there's a couple quotes of Kinsey's that he said that were not portrayed in the movie that... I find really fascinating and shows how much his research really affected his own perspective on sexuality. So he said the only kinds of sexual dysfunction are abstinence, celibacy, and delayed marriage. So still he was seeing marriage as the norm. Mm-hmm. Um within the context of any sexual relationship. Right. And the other thing he said is the only unnatural sex act is one that you cannot perform. So it seemed that nothing was off limits.
1: Nothing was off limits, but also these are very crass statements when you um, pull them apart. Very, um, I would, I disagree with both of them vehemently um, because Sexual dysfunction as abstinence, celibacy, and delayed marriage is kind of dumb. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You can't have dysfunction when you don't do something. So to call abstinence sexual dysfunction is just so, so missing the point. Now, celibacy is a personal choice that some people take and we can't say that they're dysfunctional because they decide that they don't want to have sex. I mean, asexual people exist. Um, some uh, members of clergy do this and they want to, and that's their jam and they're allowed to do their jam. You can't call them dysfunctional because of that. And then if as you said, Delayed marriage—that's the most ridiculous thing ever. Uh, I'm
2: not even sure what that means. Like, how long? How long of a delay is a delay? Oh no, I'm I'm 23 and I'm still single. Oh, you spinster! Am, exactly, I'm an old maid.
1: Yeah, <laughs> it it really it really lacks any um, useful information, uh, and probably just meant to be there to stir things up because he was well known to stir things up with um with the uh, release of these books the other quote the unnatural sex acts is the one you cannot perform i disagree with that one because um some people just can't do some things and that doesn't make them any less than um
2: no, of course not well one of the things that we were talking about discussing was William Sadler's character.
1: Right. And um, the real life major issue with um, Kinsey's uh, uh, with Kinsey's volumes was that he was interviewing pedophiles and he had interviewed quite a few of them. And William Sadler plays a character who invites um uh, Kinsey and one of his research assistants to his office to have a conversation to do the interview, and um eventually tells them or asks them a, a really disgusting question about seeing um a boy do a, a complete a sex act. Uh, I'm not going to describe the sex act. Um, and the research assistant gets up and says i'm 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 not doing this, but Kinsey stays. And in real life, he interviewed a lot more than just this one person. This one person is supposed to represent a lot of people. Um, And Kinsey didn't report them.
2: Yeah, which is shocking at this point that you would listen to someone say, I've had sex with 600 boys or whatever. It was a, a... incredible number that he kept this log in a book Mm -hmm. and again you're right he this character is a composite of many other uh characters that he'd act or excuse me participants that he'd actually interviewed Mm -hmm. but he sat there and listened and when the man said you know do i disgust you or however he said it you know kinsey very you know quietly said you know like i don't like it but i'm still going to listen yeah and which might have, have it almost looks like he's condoning it yes not, but if you're not reporting it aren't you condoning it
1: yes i'm gonna go with yes
2: <laughs> i'm gonna go with yes
1: yeah it is and it doesn't get enough in the movie. It's sort of pushed off to the side. It, it is it if is it if um director writer Condon um said, I, I know I have to address this. I know this is a big part of these studies, um, but I kind of don't want to make a big deal out of it. We'll just have, you know, Chris O'Donnell storm off and we'll we'll do this e- small exchange. And then nothing else.
2: It's never addressed again.
1: No, it is not discussed at all. And 2004, different time making movies. I, I, I think if they were to make a movie on Kinsey again, it would have to be on this
2: subject. Yeah, they'd have to address it. But for all we know, they did film something and it ended up on the cutting room floor.
1: Well, we can't talk about a movie that doesn't exist, and exactly. I exactly and, and this one really dropped the ball on that one for me. Um, knowing that uh, Kinsey interviewed a ton of these these men who um, could have replaced some of the men that he does talk about who are in prison for non-sex related cr- or non you know uh, they were deemed uh, sexual crimes. And sexual offenses, even though by today's standard, you wouldn't go to jail for for those kinds of things. He was advocating for people to get out of jail for sodomy, um, he was of course,
2: breaking in his own way.
1: Um, of course, he wasn't very successful on that front, but it did, you know, eventually sodomy laws started to disappear. There are still some that exist in these United States. If you care to look at some state laws, there are still some there are still a handful of states that still have anti-sodomy laws
2: a little scary
1: very much so well leslie i want to thank you for joining me to discuss kinsey and before we say goodbye is there anything that you'd like to plug i always let uh guests talk about the work that they've they've been doing uh things that they're proud of what what have what have you done recently
2: Well, when I was on sabbatical a few years ago, I wrote a book. It is a sample of my students' writing, and each sample has a wine or drink pairing. So this book is called Pour a Glass, the Wine and Drink Pairing Guide for Terrible Writing, and you can find it on Amazon.
1: Oh, wonderful
2: um send me
1: go ahead and send me a link of uh if you if you might i'll i'll go ahead and drop that into the um show notes i will do that thank you again for joining me leslie
2: thank you so much for having me this was a lot of fun
1: that's gonna do it for this episode until the next one thanks for listening